0: You're listening to a sermon from crccoolerman.org. So, John 21, verse
1: 15 to 23. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw be- behind them the disciples Jesus loved. The one who had leaned over to, leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumour spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you?
0: I don't think it was actually the plan for me be, to be here today, but um, but I am here. And, and today's all about a bit of a plan. We just heard, as Claire was reading, that uh, some of us need pretty simple instructions, you know, to get the hang of a plan, um, like Peter did being told three, some, three times something. But um, that's all right. We'll get to that just a little bit later. During the week... Um, I had reason to to think about plans, you know, how do we make a plan, who do you tell? And very late in the week, it may have been, I can't remember if it was Friday or yesterday, came across this great illustration. I'd already, you know, mapped out where this was going after Annette rang and said, oh, I don't think I'm gonna be there this week, you know, um, can you help out? And I thought, Okay, that wasn't her plan. Dom, you're doing your plan. And I stumble across this example of a teenager making a plan and what came of it. And, um, and maybe some of you older people might be able to build a picture of who this teenager was at the stage, but I'm not going to give you all the clues because he doesn't need, um, he doesn't need any particular fame directed his way. So um, this is a teenage musician who was writing letters I read this on an ABC page, to his girlfriend in the 1950s and and you wouldn't believe it, I think this is still common to this day, he was telling her about this plan he had for the future and I think probably it wouldn't take much to imagine that he thought that she would be part of this future, that's the way teenagers think, but the letters also included other stuff like that he was going to change his name and he was going to sell a million records. Now, how many young people left in here? Yep, maybe everyone in here knows what a record is that you could play music off in the old days. And some of that plan, wouldn't you know it, we wouldn't be talking about him otherwise, it actually came through. He changed his kind of longish name. His surname was quite long. He shortened Robert to Bob. And he became famous even as he planned, and he he actually sold maybe 125 million records rather than a million records. He did really well. He did break up with the girl. As much as we know, was she had red hair, and I'm not really sure of the reason behind that, but nonetheless, we were led on the fact that as a teenager, this girl knew about the plan, and the reason... She knew about the plan was he used to write letters to her and seemingly those lex- those letters are about to be auctioned and they said they could fetch maybe $375,000 just because of the person who, who wrote them. Last week, if you were here, doesn't matter if you weren't, we can catch you up on some of it, um, Annette was encouraging us um, in what she preached to remember God's plan and to be led by the Spirit, and she used some alliteration. Um, She said we needed to resolve to move forward in the sort of things God had for us. Do you remember some of those great R words? You you might have a couple filed away in your memory if you took any notes. I'll remind you of a couple, not all of them. And because she's talking about Paul, the apostle, this guy who one time used to persecute... um, Jesus' followers, then became one himself. She outlined this thing about the attention he would attract. So we heard that Paul had faced riots and faced the possibility of dying in Jerusalem because of the hostility towards him. He was public enemy number one, it seemed. But yet Paul had also been told by God that he he must go to Rome. So in Paul's mind... God's plan says, I must go to Rome. In that, despite the hardship he was facing, he'd also been reassured, our last word I'm going to say, and given some courage to face this. But after all that excitement, and there was a bit of excitement, you can imagine crowds, riots, as has been illustrated, and some courtroom drama, he's faced the Sanhedrin and some other bits and pieces, I think, and, and Jewish leaders who are out to get him. This week, we kind of see his mission seems to get a little bit bogged down. And I think our attention spans for anything these days are a little bit shorter. We like to just get on with the, you know, cut to the chase. What's the quickest way to get somewhere? And, and you've got to wonder, as I did when I looked to the chapters of um, Acts that are being considered. I think, oh, yeah, I've looked at one of these in the past and maybe I, I looked at a couple of verses here and I was thinking, where's the spiritual content of this? It just seems fact, 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 fact. What am I going to learn from this? What's happening to the plan? All this detail. Maybe a description is like, you hit a button on your TV remote, you've been watching a, you know, a really fast cartoon or some sort of action flick, you hit a button and you find yourself watching Parliament on the ABCs. Has anyone ever watched Parliament on the ABC? Who's ever watched it for an hour straight? What would it take to what... Oh, my hat is off to you, Alison. <laughs> it is, you know, they, they even have TV stations with slow TV, just... A camera on a train just going, yep, yeah, the countryside's beautiful, but watching grass grow. So, the exciting stuff in Acts here it's sort of over a few chapters, it seems to back right off from about Acts 23 to 25. We're not going to look at 25 today, going to look at a bit of 23 and 24, and it's Paul in and out of these court appearances that don't really seem to be producing outcomes. Yep, the same people who are out to get Paul are still out to get Paul, but he's a prisoner now. The Romans are looking after him and he's actually being protected under guard. And It's a funny way it works, isn't it? He goes from everyone out to get him. He goes into custody and you say, oh, that's bad. But really, he's kind of being protected. He's in a safer place. In custody than he might have been if he were just wandering around outside under his own steam. So picking up a little bit from last week, um, I remember the reading last week had some complicated names, a lot of detail. There were some Roman um, Roman name mentioned, Roman names mentioned. We'll toss one or two in here. So from chapter three, here's the edited highlights. There's been a a plot to attack Paul, but a Roman commander, Claudius Lysias, he sends You know, it's going to be an attack, that's what's planned. But he actually sends hundreds of soldiers to protect Paul and take him to the Roman governor Felix at a place called Caesarea. Along with the troops, the commander sends a letter to the governor. He outlines the problem. This is what it is with Paul. This is why I'm sending this prisoner to you. The Jews have been making legal accusations against Paul and they want to kill him. The commander doesn't. Himself think Paul's really done anything serious, um, but he's ordered Paul's accusers to put their case to the governor, Felix, instead. It's a little bit like your school teacher in the classroom. You've got a bit of a kid, uh, kid issue. They're at each other. It just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It doesn't seem to be happening. What does the, princip- what does the teacher do? They they elevate it up to the principal's level. It's like, oh, I'm washing my hands of this. I'm going to send you to the principal. You know, the principal can sort it out. Put them up further up the tree when you can't sort out a problem. So in Acts chapter 24, we've got a courtroom scene. The Jewish high priest Ananias, he's come to Caesarea. There are some elders from the Jews and a lawyer and they're bringing to the governor their charges against Paul. And the lawyer, to Tullus, he starts out with a bit of a charm offensive. He really kind of sweet talks. The governor, remember, we're in a Jewish country. The Romans have come from somewhere else. Really, the Jews don't like them because who are they to run our country? But the lawyer starts out, he says, oh, you know, you've brought us this long period of peace and great changes to our nation. You can't imagine... You know, this, this is quite false, really, isn't it? But he's, he's trying to sweet-talk the governor. Good changes to the nation, and, you know, we're really thankful. Having said all these nice things, the lawyer, he then kind of says, look, I, I really don't want to weary you any, anymore, take up much of your time, but... And here's where, if, if you can physically imagine the courtroom scene on TV, it's where the finger-pointing starts. So if you can just picture... The lawyer points to Paul and the accusations begin. This man, he's a troublemaker. He's stirring up riots among Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader. You know that ringleader term? You know, we, we will sometimes see it on the TV news. He is the ringleader. They try and frame someone as the ringleader of the whole operation of criminality. A ringleader of the Nazarene sect, the people who follow Jesus... He even tried to desecrate the temple. So we, we had to act. We seized him. You examine him yourself. You will learn the truth about all the charges we're bringing against him. He saying, come on, governor. You're a reasonable guy. You've got to see this our way. Then the other Jews join in. Remember the elders are there. The, um, who was the other guy? Ananias, we said, the high priest. He's there. They join in. Yep, all of this is true, gov. In a courtroom, justice sort of says, well, we've got to hear both sides of an argument, don't we? So the governor, having heard these guys, he gives a sign, okay, Paul, it's your your turn to talk. So he replies. And this isn't going to sound that scintillating because we've had a couple of chapters of this. This is Paul recounting, you know, how it's got to here. And he's defending himself. The reason I'm going to mention these words is because it's sort of relevant later. We've got to assume that God's leading Paul in his response. However, boring it seems to us a little bit because it's in a courtroom. So I'll fly through this as quick as as I can. This is Acts 24, 10 to 21. He addresses the governor. He says, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defence. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, details important in court, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers didn't find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city and they can't prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which these guys call a sect. And that's the Jesus way, of course. I believe everything that's in accordance with the law, which is what the Jews believe in, and that's written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem. Why? To bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. A little bit of sarcasm. Or those who were here should state what crimes they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It's concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. And of course, Paul have been talking about a resurrection issue, and was it what was it? That Jesus Himself had been resurrected. And not only that, there's the real hope of resurrection for everyone who places their faith in Jesus. And here's the trouble uh, behind it all. Okay, so the courtroom, you've got to imagine yourself there. You've listened to the Jews and the lawyer, you've listened to Paul. You're imagining yourself to be totalus, sorry, Felix, the, the governor, having a look. You've got a group of Jews on one side. They're trying to take down this individual, one guy on the other side, Paul, who says, all I've done is everything that Jews do. So you're going to have to imagine... You're going to have to build your own tension here if you're in the room. The tension builds, the court case is underway. What's Governor Felix going to do next? What's, he's going to, what's going to be his next move? If you're reading along, don't jump in here. Any guesses? What do you think Felix does at this point? Just have a stab in the dark. He you go through. No, he says, oh, let's just take a break. Now, this is an unusual... Inco- I used to sit in courts as a reporter, listening, and they'd make an adjournment. You might go for lunch, or they'd have to wait for someone to bring something in, or this is sort of what just happens. Let's take a break. That's what Felix orders. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, he'd heard all this stuff about Jesus and the followers. He had some inkling of what it was about, this particular um, thing about this faith that was creating ways. He adjourned the proceedings. This is what Acts is telling us. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I'll decide your case then. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. That's a little bit better than Juni Jail down the road, isn't it? It doesn't work like that. Imagine that you've got a little bit of freedom. Your, your friends can be there. Maybe they can cook for you. You know, this happens in some jails around the world now, but it's actually, this, this doesn't sound too bad then a few days later Felix and his Jewish wife Drusilla they have Paul come and talk to them and what does Paul talk about what's he going to talk about he talks to them about faith in Christ Jesus and there are some interesting results so straight from Acts 24 25 to 26 as Paul talked about righteousness self-control and the judgment to come Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you you may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. I wonder what aspect he was afraid about. Paul talked about what? Righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come. It seems that this guy, Felix, he didn't mind getting a bribe. Maybe he had a bit of a money issue. He likes to get a little bit if he can. That doesn't really make him look righteous. Judgment? Well, will I pay a price? Anyway, he keeps getting Paul in, hoping that Paul's going to offer him some money to get out and get his freedom. Hmm. Is it really scintillating? Is it sounding that exciting so far? I don't see anyone going... I'm on the edge of my seat. So, more courtroom drama. Paul's getting to tell a governor more about Jesus. Actually, that's really valid, isn't it? The governor's scared, but he's seeing an opportunity for the easy money. He's giving Paul chances. What's going to happen next? What do you think's going to happen next? Court? Felix says, all right, let's have a break. There's a little bit of to and froing. A few days later, he gets Paul in to have a conversation. What happens now, do you think? Anyone know the story? Two years pass. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favour to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Dull. Two years? Seriously? So, um, remember what I said about the TV remote before? The action flick. Well, the court's are already slowing it down, starting to look like parliament. And what? The brakes are on. It's slow motion. What's going through Paul's mind? What do you think's going through Paul, Paul's mind? Where was the destination he had in mind? We've heard in the past few weeks about how he was warned about going to Jerusalem But he went there. That's what's landed him in custody. But what has he said is his next destination? Because God's told him it is. Rome. He's meant to be headed to Rome. He's just been in jail for two years. Maybe he's thinking, come on, Lord. This other apostle out there, Peter, he's got to be making more headway with the Gentiles than I am. What can I do in here? Two years, really, Lord? Lord? In reality, I mean, if we've been around the church a little while, if we've been around the Bible a little while, Paul's not really a guy to just sit around and do nothing, even if he's in jail. He never missed an opportunity to pass on the good news about Jesus. So if you're in earshot, he's probably going to be telling you about it. He's going to be teaching his friends around him the finer points of what Jesus is desiring for them to grow in. And he's probably going to be writing letters to people as well. He's a busy fella. But let's go backwards because we've had a whole reading that we haven't looked at yet. And that's what Claire read out to us. And if you remember, Paul was being asked, well, not so much asked about something other than You know, the question doesn't make an enormous amount of sense and will require another sermon, someone preaching to explain what the question was about. You know, Peter, do you love me? What was Peter's Peter's answers? Yes, Lord, I love you. How many times was it asked? Three. But what came after it each time? Jesus would say, feed my sheep. Peter had a mission And it was to tell people about Jesus. It was to feed people what they needed in growing in their knowledge about Jesus. That's kind of what an apostle's job was. So I'm going to go back to that passage. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he goes through the three times. Do you love me? The answer, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And Peter's hurt because he's been asked this three times. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus, he goes on after his last feed my sheep and says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And I guess all the sort of History and supposition about that was sort of like stretch out his hands. Was that him being crucified like Jesus? There's a whole bunch of, you know, conversation about that. But Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. It was in no misunderstood way by Peter that he was going to die for what he was part of in following Jesus. And he said to him, follow me. And this follow me is key to what I'm talking about today. Peter turns and he's he's a bit impulsive. He always wants to know the story behind the story and, well, you know, it's not just about him. He turns, he sees the disciple whom Jesus loves following them. And there's a little bit of an explanation given here as to who that might have been. Oh, it was the one who leaned against Jesus back at the Last Supper, remember? At the supper and said Lord who's going to betray you and when Peter saw him he asked Lord what about him you want me to feed your sheep, your lambs you have told me to follow you, what about him what's the plan for him what are your instructions to him I've added some extra words in there but Peter's question is Lord what about him, Jesus answered if I want him to remain alive until I return what's that to you you must follow me. Because of Jesus' statement there, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? What Jesus was making clear in the passage Claire was reading is that Peter only had to be focused on the job he was given. Didn't matter what job Jesus was given to someone, you know, was giving to someone else. Peter, this is what I've told you. This is all you've got to think about. You know, if you're thinking about that, well, that's not about what I've asked you to do. Don't compare your future with someone else's future. They're going to be different. It's it's, it's kind of none of your business. It sounds a little bit rude, doesn't it? But Jesus knew with Peter, he just had to be that direct. So here's your focus. Paul, in his case, he's been given a plan too. And in a couple of chapters, we'll probably see that put out a little bit more again. We've heard, you know, he knows he's got to go to Rome, um, that the travelling has a destination. But the interesting thing is Jesus' mind and his knowledge of the long game, of what is going on outside these moments, this Little discussion here. Paul's situation in this courtroom. He's, all of these things have been long in the mind of Jesus. He even had words for unfolding sagas in courtrooms. So in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, he tells the disciples, look, be on your guard. You're going to be handed over to local councils, the rulers of the synagogues. You're going to be flogged. All of these things are going to happen. On my account, you're going to be brought before governors. That's pretty specific, isn't it? Now, that's what he was saying to the disciples. Paul hasn't been part or one of the disciples when Jesus was there doing ministry with them. He's like the one who comes along after and Jesus makes himself known to him on that, that roadside, you know, on his way to Damascus. But it's about witnessing to the Gentiles. When they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit is going to speak through you. The Spirit of your Father is going to be on the job. So Jesus promises to equip his, you know, the believers in him, his followers in their mission by the Holy Spirit. Aren't we followers? If we're followers of Jesus if we know who he is and we've stepped into his way, he's actually equipping us. And those don't worry verses, don't worry about what you've got to say, those don't worry verses actually relate really closely, as I've just alluded, to those three Jesus followers that have been mentioned today. So who were the three followers? There was Peter, there was Paul, and who was the other bloke? Did I name him? I've been withholding information. Okay, he was the disciple mentioned by Peter, but he wasn't named in those verses, clear read. He was just a disciple that Jesus loved. But we know in the broader picture, actually, who it is and there's a little bit of description in the next verse along from what claire read but we didn't read a little bit about his identity this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down we know that his testimony is true the person who wrote this passage is john john was a disciple that jesus loved He's the same guy Peter's asking about. He's the same guy that Jesus said, don't worry about him. Now Peter's worried that this John's going to get an easy ride. I'm going to die. What about him? What's, this is my plan. It's like, yeah, I'm up for it, but, but what about him? You know, And that rumour, maybe he's not going to die. Well, the three apostles, out of them, Peter and Paul, they both meet ends in a similar sort of period, the scholars believe, you know, within a few years of each other. John, he does live a longer life, but actually he's also brought before the courts. They believe he winds up in Rome. He's a prisoner. And so all of these lives, these three lives, are full of challenges, confrontations with authorities, but yet they're all full of God's purpose. And just looking at the New Testament shows us that their individual writings, letters, are here for us to read. And and their testimonies. John, turns out, it seems to be the last of all the apostles and disciples, to die. But in the meantime, as I said, he's been in jail. He's even been exiled to an island, Patmos. We read that in the New Testament. But he doesn't die an old man before finishing his biography of Jesus. And how does he finish that Gospel of John? Well, after these clues of The verse I just read you, that he wrote these things down, the last verse of John, is Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't have enough room for the books that would be written. What did Jesus say about John to Peter? What's it to you if he stays alive? It's a good thing he did stay alive. He also wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Revelation. He had a pretty important job to complete because Revelation, it's got all this stuff being said about this new world that's coming and the importance of persevering to the end. I don't know. Did he have a more of a chore? Staying alive meant an extended sequence of suffering in some ways, didn't it? The other guys, they burned bright. Boom, they're out of there. I guess in God's presence, in a sense. He lasted longer. He died an old man. They don't believe he was executed. But he persevered to the end. So it's tempting for us to look at another believer, another Christian, another person who follows Jesus, and say, how come I've got it so easy? Everyone gives me a hard time when I open my mouth about Jesus. But then there's the flip side. Oh, my life is so tedious and mundane... I can't be having any impact. There's no riot going on around me like there would have been about Paul or Peter. It's five years since it last felt like God was doing anything in or through me or I was even able to share about Jesus with someone. Maybe God's not really that interested in me in the first place. Maybe I, am I even in his plan? What's my part? How do we find that out? Am I on the team? Am I warm on the bench? Proverbs 3 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He'll make your path straight. Doesn't matter whether you're going through fire or whether you're going through glowing fields of grain. Just be on the path that he set you on. Trust him, even if you don't understand it all. If I'm going to consider my position a way forward, well, it's going to be worthwhile asking myself a question and remembering something of, of the way Jesus would instruct those followers in because they relate to me too. Whose plan is it anyway? Should I be making a plan to change my name and be setting out to be famous and sell a million records? Does that look like God's plan? It does sound like something I could invent. I don't think it'd come off, but I could plan it, couldn't I? But what are the, best, what are the better consequences going to come from? They're going to be in looking for God's plan and walking that way. Walking that way, well, what did Jesus say to Peter? What way am I walking? Follow me. And that helps us decide and learn and identify what is prominent in our lives. What's leading me at the moment? Is it comfort? Is it my friends? Is it a desire that I haven't shared with anyone that God might have been stirring up inside me. I'm a little bit embarrassed by it. But I feel like it's a a God thing that he's been talking to me about. Whose plan is it anyway? I think it's sometimes easy to identify what's probably not part of his plan and to say what accords, what lines up with Jesus when he says follow me. And there's a stack of stuff in there, isn't there? Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Take up your cross, follow me. Does that mean, right, I've got to go nail myself to the nearest cross? That cross is going to look different in all sorts of ways. Maybe it's a, an, an impatience that we have to get on top of because we've got to go slow because that's something God's working through. And so if we respond to Jesus' invitation, come to me because that's actually where it begins. There's no following Jesus with actually coming to him in the first place. That's a great thing. Do you want to know you're part of God's plan, that you're actually on the team? Well, you come to him in the first place and he invites everyone, whether we've responded to that invitation or not. That's the option we have to do. And so it's logical then, if we come to him, then every future decision is based around the tipping point of follow me. Come to me, follow me. Whose plan is it anyway? Follow me. That might mean waiting or beginning. Something you're not keen on. But is it worthwhile? Yeah. If God had that purpose for Peter, if God had that purpose for Paul, if God had that purpose for John, well, what's his purpose for Alison? What's his purpose for Elaine? There's going to be one. We need to find the shape. Now, I'm going to conclude there but if you can't wait two years to know what happens next, (laughs) then you can look at Acts 25 and 26 because that's probably where Annette is going to be heading or at least I hope. Otherwise, if she skips to 26, well, you're probably going to miss out on a whole bunch of Paul's address to a courtroom. But have a look at it. Read it in advance. Get your head around it because there's some really good stuff coming up in this. And we've got a great lesson. So what are the two things to remember? What's the one about the plan? What do we ask ourselves about the plan? Whose plan is it anyway? Is it mine? Is it God's? What's the simple instruction about it from Jesus? Two words, follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, your plan is what it is. We couldn't conceive of it. It wouldn't be effective if we did. But Lord Jesus, only in you could it happen. We thank you that you've invited us into this new creation of yours. As we sang earlier, that you have remade us to be what it was we were designed to be. That you've given us your righteousness. And so we no longer stand here afraid of of accusation of any sort, both what the enemy would throw at us, about what our own minds would throw at us, about not being significant, about not having a place, about having a a dull future. Lord, you've called us to be part of this world um, that is your kingdom bursting into life. So would you teach us to trust? Would you teach us to see and identify when we're hard of hearing? Lord, if it's three times you need to tell us what it is we are to do, Lord, open our ears to hear it, as with Peter. But we're just grateful that we're part of it. We're grateful for those who've gone before who who are pointing the way through your word to what it is we're about. We know it's your word and yet it's been delivered through the pen of people just like us but who are guided by your spirit. So continue to guide us, Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name.
1: Amen.